chapter 6, verses 66 through 69. And it reads, From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Thank you, Ben, for reading our scripture tonight. We appreciate so much your presence. We're glad that you're here tonight. We appreciate your willingness to come and to be a part of our worship service tonight. And we're so grateful for the opportunity to be together. And I wish it were the case that more people saw the importance of coming back. Sometimes I wonder if what is said even begins to resonate at all in the hearts and lives of some people. It's amazing how some people think that they can literally come Sunday morning and punch their ticket and they're done for the week. What's the old saying? The proof's in the pudding. So either we're here or we're not here. And I appreciate your presence tonight, but it is disheartening to see so many empty seats. And the bottom line is there's no excuse for it. Not one. And if you think that this is some type of aberration, you're wrong. Wednesday night, same thing. There are some folks in this congregation need to wake up. And you need to pass the word. They ought to wake up. In John chapter 6, we're going to be looking at John chapter 6, and we're going to be talking about conviction. Really, the lesson tonight piggybacks somewhat the lesson this morning. When you think about conviction, what comes to your mind? If somebody were to say to you, you are a person of conviction, what would you think? Many of us have very strong convictions about certain things in life. And we have such a strong conviction that no one could sway us when it comes to what we believe and what we think and what we practice. In John chapter 6, we read, some, we read about some people that had the opportunity to hear one of the great discourses in the life of Jesus. He identifies himself as the bread of life that came down from heaven. And the text tells us that as a result of his teaching, some chose to leave him. On the other hand, there were some who chose to continue living for him. I want us to begin by, first of all, noting those disciples who chose to leave him. And there are a couple of things I want to share with you. We don't have the time tonight to read in its entirety John chapter 6. But I would encourage you over the next few days to go back and refamiliarize yourself with John chapter 6 and the teaching that Jesus does as it relates to his deity, the fact that he is that living bread that came down from heaven. And sometimes we ask the question, why is it that some people choose to leave the Lord? Why do they choose to walk away? Well, there are a couple of reasons. 
First, in looking to this lesson text, the first reason why some chose to leave the Lord is because they rejected the truth about Jesus. Pick up with me if you would. In verse 38, Jesus talks about how he came down from heaven. He said, not to do his own will, but the will of him who sent him. Verse 39, he said, this is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but that I should raise him up at the last day. This is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. The Jews then murmured, they grumbled against him because he said, I'm the bread which came down from heaven. And then note, if you would, the question. Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? One of the real problems among some in the first century, they had difficulty accepting the identity of Jesus. And yet, the evidence was before them. There was a ton of evidence that they could see and that they could draw their conclusions from. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus asked an interesting question on one occasion to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were the antagonist of Jesus on a number of occasions. The Sadducees as well. And in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus asked the question, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? Could I say to you tonight, that there are three questions every single person has to answer in life. Number one, all of us have to answer the question, What do we think about Jesus? What do we think about the Christ? That is a very pointed and personal question. And every man, woman, and child ultimately has to come to terms with that question. What do you think about Jesus? You remember in Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus was in the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Jesus then asked the question, but whom do you say that I am? That's a personal question, isn't it? First, he wanted to know, what do people think about me on the street? But then in a very poignant way, he asked the question, what do you think? And Simon Peter spoke up and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. All of us have to answer the question, who is Jesus? Secondly, we need to ask the question, what are we going to do with Jesus? Do you remember when Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate? And Matthew tells us in his account, Pilate asked the question about the Christ. What then shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? First, you need to ask the question, what do you think about Jesus? And then secondly, what are you going to do with Jesus? What you do with Jesus or don't do with Jesus will ultimately affect where you spend eternity. And so what Pontius Pilate asked nearly 2,000 years ago is still a profound question. 
What are you going to do with him? There are a lot of people in our world today, they have come to the right conclusion about Jesus. They believe he's the Son of God, but they have yet to do anything with him. And so number one, what are you going to do with Jesus? Number two, or rather number one, what do you think about Jesus? Number two, what will you do with Jesus? And then thirdly, what will Jesus do with you? How you respond to those first two questions will determine what he does with you when you stand before him. Because in the Gospel of John, Jesus said, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my word hath one that judgeth him. He said, The word that I have spoke, the same shall judge him in the last day, John 12, 48. So one day we're going to stand before the Lord, Matthew chapter 25, Jesus pictures that day in which he, the Son of Man, will come in all of his glory with all of his holy angels. And before him will be gathered the world, the human family. And he will begin to separate them as a shepherd divides the sheep from the goats. And he'll say to those on the right hand, Come, you blessed of my Father. To those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed. And so, what do you think about Jesus? The people in the first century, present on this, on this occasion, they had to decide for themselves what they thought about Jesus. And then secondly, they had to decide what they were going to do with Jesus. And then thirdly, as you well know, one day Jesus will do something with them. So first they rejected the truth about Jesus. There's a second point here. Not only did they reject the truth about Jesus, they rejected the teaching of Jesus. There is a correlation. As a matter of fact, you cannot separate the truth from Jesus. They are intertwined. If you have a relationship with Jesus, it is a result of your relationship to the truth. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. So we have to walk in accordance with the teaching of Jesus if we want to maintain a relationship with him. First, Jesus speaks of his mission. I read just a moment ago how those present on this occasion, they, they question, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I've come down from heaven? In verse 38, Jesus said, I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus had a heaven-sent mission. He came, as he would say in Luke 19, 10, to seek and to save the lost. The angel announced to Joseph, his earthly father, that his mother, Mary, would bring him into the world. And speaking of the work of Jesus, the angel said, He shall save his people from their sins. So, when we talk about the teaching of Jesus, first it has to do with his mission, and then what about his message? Let me just read for you some excerpts. In John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. 
He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. Look at verse 48. He said, I am the bread of life. He makes this statement prior to defining himself as the bread of life. He said, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. Verse 50, this is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. Look at verse 51. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Verse 52, listen to the Jews who quarreled, quarreled among themselves. And they asked the question, how then can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus said, most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. For my flesh is food indeed, my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh, drinks my blood, abides in me, and I in him. Now drop down and look at verse 60. In verse 60, in light of what Jesus taught in the synagogue, the Bible says many of his disciples, when they heard this, said this is a hard saying. In other words, this is a difficult saying. And who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured about this, he said to them, does this offend you? In other words, does it make you to stumble? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who, who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. Now look at verse, verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Think for a minute about the setting. Jesus is teaching. He has been performing miracles. He had just fed some 5,000 people with a few barley loaves and two small fish. He identifies himself as that living bread that came down from heaven. And they couldn't take his teaching. And so as a result of that, they left him. One of probably the saddest pictures in Scripture of those who had the opportunity to hear Jesus, to see his work. And so... Jesus then asked this question. Look at verse 67. He turns to the twelve and says this, Do you also want to go away? Now I want you to think about this situation for a minute. You've got all these people together and in mass many are exiting. They're leaving. They're walking away from him. Did Jesus turn to the people who were leaving and say, now wait a minute, let me make some concessions and compromise my teaching a little bit and you can come follow me. He didn't do that, did he? 
No, they made the decision to leave, and so Jesus allows them to leave. He doesn't coerce us. He doesn't force us to follow him. We choose to follow him. You remember what he said in Matthew chapter 16, if any man will come after me, that's human choice. So, you have the disciples who chose to leave Jesus. But there were some who chose to continue living for him. So, look if you would, again at the question posed by Jesus. Do you also want to go away? Now, verse 68 says that Peter responds for the group. And there are a couple of things here that I think are very interesting. First, note if you would their conclusion. Listen if you would to what Peter said. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life eternal. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So first we think about the conclusion. I asked the question a moment ago, what do you think about Jesus? What are you going to do with Jesus? You see, all of us have to ultimately sift through the evidence and then begin to draw our conclusions. We have to decide what we're going to do. And the question that's asked by Peter is profound. Lord, to whom shall we go? There are a lot of people in the world today, they choose to leave Jesus for any number of reasons. Some because of the thrills of the world. Some because of tribulation or persecution. Some because of discouragement. There are a lot of reasons. But these men had concluded in their minds that Jesus was the Christ, that is the anointed one, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. John began his book by introducing the Word who became flesh, the one who existed in the very beginning with God, the one through whom the worlds were made. And John said in chapter 1, verse 14, the Word became flesh, that is, the eternal God became flesh, God incarnate. Matthew records from Isaiah chapter 7, Emmanuel, God with us. So they came to that conclusion. Well, what about the evidence? Does God want us to look at the evidence and then draw the conclusions? Yes. So what were, what about that evidence? What could they sift through to decide this is the Christ. This is the Messiah, the anointed one. Let me give you three things. First, they accepted the testimony of the Scriptures, didn't they? Do you remember back in John chapter 5? Jesus said to the Jews, You search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And he said, these are they 
which testify about me. Before Jesus ascended to heaven in Luke chapter 24, he told the disciples that everything that had been written about him in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms had been fulfilled. In John chapter 5, Jesus went back and appealed to the writings of Moses. The Jews had deep respect for Moses, the great lawgiver and leader of ancient Israel. And Jesus said, look, if you believe Moses, you would have believed me. Why? Because he wrote about me. Go back and read the Pentateuch. Go back and read the first five books of the Old Testament. And Moses in the Old Testament is pointing people in the direction of the promised seed, the Messiah, that prophet who would come, according to, De to Deuteronomy chapter 18. And so, the evidence... They could look at the evidence, they could look at the scriptures and draw the conclusions that, hey, this guy, he is the son of God. But then there was a second way that they could discern that Jesus was the Christ, the son of the living God, and that had to do with his signs or miracles. In the Gospel of John, there are seven specific miracles recorded and the reason they're recorded is so that people might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. He said, many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but he said, these are written that you might believe. Now, if you look at John chapter 6, Jesus, as I said a moment ago, had the opportunity to feed some 5,000 people people with five loaves of bread and two small fish. Would that have gotten your attention? Had you been present on that occasion and you were hungry and you have nothing to eat and you see a little fella carrying a sack lunch and Jesus takes that sack lunch and feeds 5,000 people, would that not have gotten your attention? Would have gotten mine. And then down in verse 15 and following, we have Jesus walking on the water. Imagine seeing somebody stroll out on top of, of a lake. Here is Jesus coming, walking on the water. And the Bible says they were afraid. And Jesus said, it is I, do not be afraid. So, they had the opportunity to see Jesus perform a number of miracles. Those are just two of the miracles he performed. In John chapter 5, verse 36, Jesus said, The very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. Go back and look at the miracles that are recorded, not just in John, but look at Matthew, Mark, Luke. Those biographers of the life of Jesus lend insight into the power of Jesus over nature, over matter, over time, over illness, disease, death. So, in light of that, Peter said, look, we believe that you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then, what about the testimony of the Savior? 
Who did Jesus claim to be? Do you remember back in John chapter 4 when he had the opportunity to meet with that woman at Jacob's well? She was from Samaria. And she said on one occasion, or rather she said on that occasion, I know that when the Messiah comes, he'll tell us all things. She had already perceived that he was a prophet of God. And Jesus said, I who speak to you am he. In other words, I'm the Messiah. I am the Son of God, the Son of David. When Simon Peter, out on the coast of Caesarea Philippi, said, You're the Christ, you're the Son of the living God, did Jesus say, Now wait a minute, Peter, you've gone too far? You don't understand. I'm not the Christ, I'm not the, the Messiah, I'm not the Son of God. No, he said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood is not revealed unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. So here is Jesus acknowledging the fact that he's the Son of God. Now look at John chapter 6 very quickly. Some of the statements that Jesus makes. In John chapter 6, verse 29, Jesus said, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. Who did he send? Christ, who was he? The Son of God. Verse 35, I'm the bread of life. Verse 37, all that the Father gives me. Jesus is saying here, God is my Father. So they came to the right conclusion, didn't they? The conclusion was based on evidence. On the evidence of the Scriptures, the signs, and then the Savior. Over in John chapter 9, a little bit later. Jesus is going to give sight to a man that was born blind. And the question is asked, who sinned, this man or his parents? And Jesus said, neither. The fellow that he gave sight to had the opportunity to converse with Jesus. And Jesus asked this question in verse, 30, in verse 36. Do you believe in the Son of God? And he said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said, You've both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Jesus here reveals his identity to this man. But the disciples present on this occasion, they've already come to the conclusion. This is the Christ. Now, as a result of that, think about their confidence. Go back and look again at what Jesus asked. Do you also want to go away? Simon Peter answered and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know. And I would stress two terms here. First, believe. Secondly, know. Does God want us to accept the testimony that he is the Son of God without any evidence? No. I can say in all confidence, I believe God created the world. Well, why could I say that? Because the world is evidence of a creator, isn't it? You remember what the Hebrew writer said? Every house is built by some man. He that built all things is God. So, I believe God created the heavens and the earth. But I not only believe that, I know that. 
Well, how do I know it? Because of the evidence. Because I understand that everything has to have a cause. In other words, design demands a designer, doesn't it? So I can affirm, I believe God created the world. I believe that, but I know it. I have the testimony of the scriptures, but I also have the testimony of the created world, don't I? So here the Apostle Peter saying, look, not only do we believe you're the Christ, the Son of God, but we have come to know it. We don't have any doubt. We don't have any hesitation in affirming this. Now in light of that, how did they respond? Since they absolutely believed Jesus to be the Christ, the Son of the living God, number one, they were willing to suffer for his name, weren't they? They were willing to suffer persecution for the name of Christ. Let me just give you one example. Very quickly. Acts chapter 5. You remember the apostles were beaten, commanded not to teach in the name of Jesus anymore. Let me ask this question. Had they not believed Jesus to be the Son of God, would they have been willing to undergo that siege of persecution that followed them wherever they went? Do you think James would have willingly allowed himself to be put to death for someone he didn't believe in? Absolutely not. Do you think that these men, for example, Peter and John back in Acts chapter 4 when they stood before the Sanhedrin council and they were commanded not to teach or preach in the name of Jesus, if they didn't really believe in the Lord and believe in His message, do you really think they would have subjected themselves to that kind of difficulty? The answer is no. They wouldn't have. But they were confident, weren't they? So not only were they willing to be persecuted for Christ, but they were willing to preach publicly and privately the Christ. Look very quickly. Go over to Acts chapter 5 just very quickly. I want you to look at something before we close. We talk about their confidence and the fact that these men, number one, they drew the right conclusion. Number two, they had absolute confidence in the one in whom they believed. Verse 40, the Bible says, they called for the apostles and beat them and commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Let me tell you, that's conviction, isn't it? These guys had conviction. Why do you think they had the ability to turn literally the world upside down? Because of conviction. Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. I am grateful for your conviction in Christ. And I'm grateful for your life 
your example, your influence, your service in the kingdom. But we have to get everybody on board. Everyone needs to have the conviction that these men have. You see, if you have genuine conviction that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, you'll live for him day in and day out. You'll suffer for him. You'll share his name with others far and wide. Why? Because you believe in him. Because you believe the promises of God. In closing tonight, I want to ask this question. Are you a Christian? Are you a child of God? I think it's important to ask questions. Jesus asked a lot of questions. If you're not a Christian, I want you to know that Jesus came, bled, and died for your sins. That if you will respond to the gospel through faith and obedience, you can be saved tonight. What do you need to do? Believe Jesus to be the Son of God, just as he said in John 6. Willingly turn away from a life of sin. It's called repentance. Confess with your mouth what you believe in your heart, Romans 10, 9 and 10. And then be immersed in water so that all your sins can be washed away. And then be faithful until death. If you'll do that, you'll go to heaven. If you're here tonight and maybe you're not faithful to the cause of Christ, maybe your life's not like, not what it ought to be, could I encourage you to come home realizing that God will abundantly pardon 1 John 1, 9. Won't you come as we stand and sing?